little bit about moving. Um, I don't know how many times you've moved in your life. Maybe you've moved a lot. Maybe you've moved a little. Um, I have moved a lot in my life. Um, I'm 33, going on 100, and um, I've lived a bunch of different places. Are there people that have lived a bunch of different places? There's a few people out there, yeah. So I don't know if you've ever been the new kid. Have you been the new kid? Um, at, I, was an, I was like not a professional new kid because I wasn't good at it. Um, but I was the new kid a lot. And so you'd move to a new place, and I moved to a lot of different places. So I've lived in a lot of different cities. And I don't know if you found this, if you've moved a lot of different places, but there's certain people that you meet when you go to a place that hate their city. Have you, have you experienced this before? And maybe, maybe you hate your city right now. Like, so maybe you can just be like, uh, I don't have to look around. I'm like right here. This is, you're looking at it. Like, so I don't know if you've ever met or ever even felt that yourself. Like, I hate this town. I mean, I hate this town. I mean, if you've talked to people that hate their town, they mean it. Like, they really, really, really mean it. I don't know if you've ever lived in a small town. And you've heard people say, there's nothing going on here. There's nothing going on here. And then you move to a big town. And they say, there is nothing going on here. Like, there, I mean, this place has nothing going. You move to a medium-sized town. And they're like, there's nothing to do here. Like, I don't, I don't even know why I'm, what, what am I doing here? How did I end up here? I don't know if you can relate to that or if you felt that. Maybe you feel that now about the place you're living but I think all of us that have moved around a little bit maybe can relate to that. And even if you haven't moved around a lot, you can relate to that feeling of just being like, I don't like where I'm living. I don't like where I'm living. It's, it, it maybe literally stinks or figuratively. Or maybe there's not a lot going on. Or maybe I don't like my job. Or maybe my neighborhood's bad. Or maybe my neighborhood's too, like, all the same and too cookie cutter, man. And, like, so... There's all different reasons we've come up with that we don't like our city. I think that's a human experience that we can all relate to. But I want you to think about deeply as we begin our time in God's Word, the concept of home. And I've asked you to do this before, but this is a returning theme for us. Where is your home and why is it that when we put ourselves in a place, we feel like something doesn't fit? Something's not right. Maybe if, maybe if they built that store, everything would be better, you know? Or maybe if I moved to a different neighborhood, everything would be better. Or maybe if the community had more money, it would be better, or less money, or different money, or more to do for the kids, or more parks, or less parks, or, what, you know, better schools. I want you to think about the concept of home. And as we talk about loving our city today... Maybe we can all find a way through hating our city or being dissatisfied with the place we're living into a deep and abiding love for the place that God has put us. A deep love. Maybe you're already there and this is just going to be icing on the cake and that's great. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes once again and get quiet. And I want you to consider your city. You might have a few people here from out of town and that's cool too. Think about, think about your city you come from. Think about your city. How do you feel about your city?
Do you have good feelings? Do you have bad feelings? We sung it, we prayed it, but if God's kingdom came here to this city, meaning your city, what would that look like? What would that feel like? Just take a moment. Consider deeply your city. If you have bad feelings about your city, that's okay. Be honest about that. But again, ask yourself that question. What would it look like for God's kingdom to come to my city? What would it look like? What would it feel like? Father, I've moved around a lot and seen a little bit of this world that you made. And I've been in places that I've liked and places that I've not liked. And in every place, God, I think I felt like it maybe wasn't home. Maybe, maybe there was something missing. But God, in every place that we find ourselves, in every city that is represented by the people hearing this, now, would you give us a, an abiding look at our city? A deep look. God, we can't even have feelings about it if we don't even call it our city. So, like, protect us from that thing inside of us that says, it's not my city. <laughs> I'm just passing through. God, protect us from dark and destructive attitudes towards our city. Maybe give us some fresh eyes today that we might be able to see this city the way you see it. That we might be able to interact with it in a more healthy way that brings your kingdom here. That that wouldn't be just words on our lips, but it'd be in our hearts and our minds and in our mouths and our actions. And Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to be in two places today in God's Word, and they're two small places. Some of you may be refreshed to hear for us that tackle big, hard passages a lot. We're going to be in a couple really short ones. One is in Jeremiah chapter 29. The other one's in Hebrews 11. If you have a Bible, there are Bibles on the back table if you ever need one. Take one. Take it out of here and read it outside of this place. Um, if you want to follow along on the screen, you can. If you've got an app or something on your device that you want to look at, go for it. Do it up. Uh, let's follow along and let's jump into God's word today. Well, I want to tell you, give you a little bit of background about Jeremiah 29. Because if you don't understand some of the background behind it, it's not going to make any sense to you. God's people screw up big time and repeatedly in the Old Testament. In every Testament, really. Uh, that's something you need to know about the Old Testament. That in many ways, the Old Testament is a long, winding tragedy. A history of failures in God's family. Repeatedly, the people of God try to find something else other than a relationship with God to fill 
the black hole vortex, it's my term, of emptiness and fear and greed and lust that is operating at the center of their existence. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And they try everything. And they try anything. It keeps not working. For all of his patience in working with the people that he is loving, God repeatedly has to send messengers to wake up people to the truth of their predicament. They are lost, sick, sad, and they need help. They need guidance. They need healing. They need goodness and light to overcome the evil and the dark in their hearts and in their world. That is the story of the Old Testament. And I want to tell you that the messengers that he sends and the people that he has to wake up are his family. People who maybe should have known better. People who had been down the road a long ways with God. God is remarkably creative at how he gets people's attention. Does he have yours? One of the things that God sends is a series of prophets to his family, Israel, the people who wrestle with God. When people hear and think of prophets, I don't know about you, but a lot of times the first thing that might come to mind is people who tell the future. You think of a prophet, you think of like a wide-eyed, like long-haired, they have a staff, because I'm thinking of Gandalf. Like they're a prophet in the sense that like they tell, oh, bad stuff is coming. Like things are going to happen. We tell the future for prophets. That's pretty misleading if that's what you think of when you think prophet. And I'm not, like, I'm not judging you for that. I'm just saying that that's not really what prophets were first and foremost in the Old Testament. First and foremost, while they do tell the future more significant and more pervasive, this thing that prophets do is to tell the truth. You think of Prophecy as future telling. Prophecy is first, foremost, and at its root, truth telling. Prophets say the thing that no one else wants to say. Or that no one else can say. Or that no one else has the courage to say. Prophecy is about telling the truth. And in this passage, the family of God, the ones who were promised a certain tract of land, a certain city in Jerusalem, to be theirs as their home, have been carried off into exile in a foreign land, into Babylon. I want you to think about that. If you're God's people thousands of years ago and he promised you home, that thing, that thing home, and I mean a real home, he promised you a home, and you were in your home, the home that he promised you. And then all of a sudden, you're picked up and you're carried away into another place. That's not your home. How would you feel? This is devastating for people who believe that their home was in Jerusalem, God's city. They were desperate and they were afraid. And this is the context into which God speaks in Jeremiah 29. So let's look into into, the, into God's word together, having understood kind of the background. This is Jeremiah 29, picking up in verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. We're going to stop right there already because this is incredible. This comes directly after an episode, just so you know, where other prophets, where other voices were trying to tell the people that their exile would end quickly. So the people got to be carried off into Babylon and these prophets had come and they said, they told the people exactly what they wanted to hear. 
God's going to come and save the day. Like he's going to come and he's going to smack some folks around and he's going to get you out of exile in two years. That God was going to straighten all this out really quickly. So the prophet Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, writes this letter to the people of God from God. Says who it is from because they are listening to other voices. They believe that this exile is something perpetuated against them by a foreign evil power. And while they may be an evil power, we see here already that it isn't because of Babylon that they are in exile. Do you see this? Who carried the people into exile? Babylon? No. Babylon didn't carry God's people into exile. God carried God's people into exile. So for a people who thought that God had lost the plot and that we're in a place where we should not be, we're in a foreign land where we don't belong, that is not our home, God says first and foremost, for those of you looking for a way out, I carried you into Babylon. I think something personal is being perpetuated against them by Babylon, but it's actually something personal that God is doing. Let's pause the tape for a second, because we're going to talk about loving our city here, and let's talk and reflect deeply here, though we are all in exile. I don't know about you, but I've been, every place that I've been felt like home, kind of. It didn't quite work. There is something in me, and I believe probably something in you and in everyone that I've ever met, that yearns for a home that we have never experienced. On a cellular level, on an atomic level. How do we get here and why are we here? Where is home? How it relates to your city is this. We can think of the city that we're placed in as an accident or as a punishment. You can look around at your town, the place that you call home for now, and you can say, man, I don't know how I ended up here, or I took a job here to be here. Like, it was for the money, or it was for the community, or it was for the, what, like, I ended up here by, or God is punishing me. And I'm sure you, we've all talked to people who have like, God has cursed me with this town. I can't get out of this town. I literally heard someone checking out this week at a store. And she was talking to a friend of hers and she was saying, yeah, I was living in Illinois, but you know, you know, Sioux City just, it just sucks you right back in. You know, haven't you heard that? Have you said that? Is that why you're laughing? Like, I've, like, that happened to me. Like, I'm listening to her and I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like gravity, you know, like, but, but by the way, you can go to every single town that there ever was in human history. And you can find ladies checking out at the grocery store saying, man, I was living in Timbuktu, but this place just sucked me back, you know? It's like gravity. And we can look at our town and think that we're cursed. Think that we put ourselves here, that we're being punished. But the people of God felt entitled to their home. They felt that maybe God had made a mistake. And they were headed home soon. But God says, I carried you there. Is there anywhere, anywhere on the planet, 
or off the planet? Is there anywhere you can go where God is not? Hope Springs. Is there any city you can travel to that isn't meant to be God's city? No. Is there any place you can go to escape? No. This is a, this is a profound, deeper principle that we're reading in God's word. That yes, they are, be, they are carried off into exile, but you know what? Are you anywhere where God doesn't know exactly where you are? Is there any place that you can go that's outside of his imagination? And this is what he says. This is what he says to his family who he carried in exile. He says, build houses and settle down. If you're God's people hearing this, you, get, you got that pit in your stomach. Because you just had a different prophet tell you that it was going to be two years and you were going to go back home. And now Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, is telling you, ah, you think Babylon carried you. It turns out that God carried you into exile, and you need to build houses and settle down. Instead of looking for the escape, instead of looking for the exits, instead of breaking glass in case of emergency, instead of all your schemes to escape the orbit of your city, build houses, he says, and settle down. Plant gardens. Gardens? And eat what they produce. Do you remember the principle of first mention? I've talked to you about this before. When we read a word in the Bible, especially a word that's not used very often, we look and we think, well, where did that first word first come up? Why does he use gardens here? The word gardens is not a common word in the Old Testament. God's not telling people all the time to, hey, plant gardens, hey, plant gardens, hey, plant gardens. Do, you, they, do people think that they're cursed? So when God says plant gardens, do you know what their mind and imagination goes back to? The garden. The garden that we got kicked out of. Our home that we were banished from. And now he's telling a banished people in their banishment to plant gardens. To make a home. Now those of you who have planted gardens, is a garden like a one-year commitment? Like, is it something that you just want to do? Just try it, you know? Like, we're just going to do this one year and, and maybe... Ne- no, a garden takes time, right? It takes years. It takes cycles. It takes, it takes however many years. It, I, don't, I don't know. You gardeners can tell me. How many years does it take to even know what you're doing gardening? What? Ten? Five? I'm just yelling out numbers. I don't know. But more than one, I'll tell you, I'll tell you that, to figure out what you're doing. He says... Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Don't abstain from life. Don't abstain from making a family in this new home, in this exile. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. So that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. We hear this refrain a lot in faith talk. God will deliver. God will save. God will rescue. And he does. And he will. But how? How will he deliver? How will he rescue in this particular situation? These folks have been asking God to speed the clock up and to get out of captivity as soon as possible for him to rescue them from the consequences of their actions. They actually wanted prophets, we're going to see, who told them that the captivity would be quick and that God was coming to sort it all out. But Jeremiah is the prophet, not just a prophet, He is the prophet for this place and this time. And he's the only one telling the truth. 
relaying a different message. They want God to fix things. Jeremiah says, yeah, no. No. Instead of counting on a quick captivity, you're going to want to go ahead and make a life in your captivity. You're going to want to go ahead and make a home in your exile. Because you can take people out of the garden, but you can't take the garden out of people, apparently. If we believe the kinds of things that God is teaching us in the Old Testament, that we could be his people wherever we're found, you're going to need to build houses. You're going to need to settle down. You need to plant gardens. In essence, you need to be a part of the place that I took you to. You need to make a home out of your captivity, to be a part of the neighborhood, to be a part of the economy, to plant stuff and build stuff and grow stuff and do stuff, good stuff. You're going to be here a while. This is profound if we let it be because there's multiple layers to this. For a people who were obsessed with an address, this is a profound statement because this, again, this people... God had promised a home to in a geographically specific one. And here he is saying essentially for this generation and for the next for 70 years, home is wherever I send you. And on a deeply personal level, we're all searching for home. And there's this piece of us that thinks that if we just could get the geography right, that if we could just get the relationships right or different, that if we could just change the furniture or rearrange it or the lighting or make a few substitutions or maybe get a different job, like we could make it, it could be okay if we just change the situation. But God is everywhere, everywhere that people are awake. So we can make a home, it turns out, anywhere, anywhere. On another level, the reasons for God sending his family into captivity aren't just about them. The reasons also have to do to the people he is sending them to. This people are to be fertilizer for life and peace wherever they go, just like you, like us. And even with this broken situation that led them to be taken into captivity by God, there is still a mission for them among the people they will be living with in Babylon. Babylon needs to see the homes that they will build. Babylon needs to see the kind of gardens that they will make. Babylon needs to see their families and interact. Babylon needs to see God's people. Because even within that captivity, there is a mission to the city that the people are sent to, just like you, just like me. Because part of the city that I live in is never going to feel like home. But I am always sent to the people around me to love and to serve. I'm always sent to make a home in exile here on this planet. To while I feel like a wanderer and feel like no place is perfect or fits exactly right, I'm drawn in to my mission with God. He goes on. He doesn't just stop there. He says this, Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. This is bananas. This is bananas. Because there are a lot of people right now that were not praying for the peace and the prosperity of Babylon. There were a lot of people right now that were praying for the destruction of Babylon. Because they were the bad guys. For the actual, like, that they would just go kaboom. And so we could go back home. But God 
confronts that in his people and says, seek the peace. Not just pray for it. Actually seek it out. Actually seek out the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Do you see that we're not just supposed to make do with our city? Like, do you see that we're not just supposed to tolerate it? But that we're supposed to work for our city's good? That we're supposed to seek its peace? What does that mean? What does it mean that we would seek the peace and seek the prosperity of the city that we're planted in? What is it, what, what does the word peace mean to God's people? In God's mouth, peace means connection. It means being connected with God and connected with other people. It means justice. In a city moving towards a place where thy kingdom come, thy will be done is not a prayer or a song, not just those things, but a reality. We have to ask ourselves, what does the economy look like in a city that has peace? We have to ask ourselves, what does the legal system look like in a city that has peace? We have to ask ourselves, what does the government look like in a city that has peace? What do the parks look like? What do the neighborhoods look like? What do the stores look like? What does the city smell like? What does seek the prosperity mean coming out of God's mouth? Seek the prosperity of the city that you're sent to. What kind of prosperity? Would it be a kind of prosperity that would widen income inequality, that would limit opportunities or health care for people in poverty? Would prosperity mean just more money, rising property values, more tourism? Is, is that what the prosperity of the, is that the kind of prosperity that God is talking about? The prosperity of simply more. You know, it's complicated, but it's not that complicated. The prosperity of God in the scriptures is a prosperity where blessed are the merciful and the generous. Blessed are the poor and the weak. Blessed are those who, are, who mourn and who hunger and thirst. That's the kind of prosperity that we find in the scriptures. The prosperity in God's kingdom. It also means that the proud and the powerful are humbled. That people move more towards generosity and grace and empowering the people around them to become the people they were meant to become. This is the kind of prosperity. This is the kind of peace that we see in the scriptures. Not just an absence of conflict in the realm of peace, but actual justice and safety and security for people. Not just more in the realm of prosperity, but better and healthier and more connected. This is the thing that God asks for his people who are in exile, for all of us who live in exile. He says this, yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. There's a big distinction here between the people who just want to hear what they want to hear. But they want to hear that, hey, you're in exile and your city is junk and God's going to come and rescue you. I mean, tease this out over a lifetime. 
There are people that want to hear that this place is bad and that God's going to beam you up, Saudi, and everything's going to be great. That this whole spiritual journey is about an escape from this community, an escape from this world. God confronts that attitude really clearly here. He says, don't listen when people tell you what you want to hear. Listen to me, he says, because he's the Lord and he loves his people. And he has not lost the plot and he has a plan for them that is good. They think that their captivity, and I want you to relate yourself to this, they think their captivity will be the worst thing ever and means they will be cut off from their home. But if they listen, they will embrace the thing that God has challenged them to do. They will make a home away from home. They will help other people see the love and grace and kingdom of God on earth. Now, I'm supposed to make this practical, but I'm obsessed with the metaphysics of this. (laughs) Hopefully, we'll land on the practical, but I just feel like if you can grasp this in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, you might be able to shift your whole perspective on your family and on your mission and on your community. The people in the Old Testament were obsessed with land, we think, with the home that God promised them. But where is home exactly? If we look at the 11th chapter of Hebrews, which is, again, another text that we return to all the time because it's so important to us. In the 11th chapter of Hebrews, the writer talks specifically and repeatedly about the home that God's people are looking for. As he chronicles incredible acts of faith, acts of people throughout human history being sure of what they hoped for and certain of what they could not see, this is what he says in Hebrews 11. This is our last text for today, verse 13. In talking about all these people that seem to be obsessed with geography, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. People who say such things... Show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they've been thinking of the country they've left, they would have had an opportunity to return. Instead, they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And all this talk about geography in the Old Testament, and all this searching, and all this wandering, all of our exiles, whatever they look like, We're looking for home. And the scriptures tell us that the home is wherever God is and God is everywhere. That if we experience God in prison, he's there and we live and we work towards making a garden in a prison. Or undoing the very concept of prison. That his kingdom would come and that his will would be done. Humans can make gardens wherever they go. So here's a question for you and for your life and for your particular brand of exile, whatever it looks like. What's your attitude towards your city? What's our attitude towards our community? Is our attitude one of hostility? One of disappointment? One of frustration and anger? I can relate. I feel that with my city. What are we building in our city? I mean, your house, where you live. What kind of home are you building? What kind of neighborhood are you a part of? What are you planting in this city? 
Maybe those things are green things and things that, you know, grow out of the ground. Maybe they're things that grow out of hearts and out of minds and out of relationships. And our last question for today, what is... What does peace look like in Siouxland? What does justice, what does God's kingdom look like here? If we pray, thy will be done, thy kingdom come here, what is that going to look like? What does it look like? Why don't we pray and reflect? Ask yourself. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I just want to ask yourself. Spend some time. Breathe. Focus. Reflect. What is God telling you today? How is God communicating to you today about your city, about your exile? I just want to guide you through multiple levels of this, multiple layers. On a personal level, Are you looking for home? Is there something that's never quite felt right? That's felt foreign to you? About your family, about your city, about this planet? That's good if you felt that. Because it means that you were made for a home, you just have never been there. Just take a couple breaths and consider that everywhere God is, is home. That your home is not a geography, it's not a building. It's not even your family. It is that infinite ocean of God's love for you. That is home. And then moving from a personal level, I just want you to consider for the few moments we have left together, what does peace look like in your city? What does prosperity look like in your city? And how can you be a part of that? If you're a business person, what does it look like for you to seek the peace and prosperity of your city? If you are a worker, a teacher, a mom, whatever it is that you do, a student, a volunteer, what does seeking the peace and the prosperity of your city look like? Father, we don't want to be hearers of the word. We want to be doers of the word. And God, I pray for my friends and for myself that all the different layers and all the different levels of this message and of this time spent in your word, 
would connect with us. God, that on a personal level, that that thing that we've been missing, that we've been searching for in one way or another our whole lives, home. Father, would we find that home in you? God, that as we think about your son Jesus and about living in Christ, that, we, that he's the vine and we're the branch, that, that we are, our home is found in that infinite ocean of your love and grace for us. God, may we come home today. And Father, may we in our exile make a home in our city. Send us to build things and to plant things and to grow things and to face things that our city is going through, that there might be peace and prosperity in our city. God, we ask in the name of Jesus that you bring peace and prosperity to Siouxland, to all the cities represented here in our time together. And God, that we'd be a part of your kingdom coming, of your will being done here. God, thank you for shocking us out of our complacency and rewiring us once again into your love for us and for this community. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.